Welcome to Chinuch 2.0, a show about the massive changes happening to how we do Chinuch, some of which may never be the same again. On this show, we continue the discussion about homeschooling and school from home. A few shows ago, when we interviewed a mother who homeschools her children, we got a lot of great feedback from our listeners, so we decided to continue the discussion and talk to more people about it. In this show, we interview Ms. Rachel Johnson. She's the assistant principal of the Forest Trail Academy, which is a virtual private school for families who wish to School from home. And we also speak with Mrs. Yvonne Bunn, who is the director of HEAV, which is an advocacy group for parents of children who homeschool in the state of Virginia. So you might wonder, why am I revisiting the topic of homeschooling and why are people so enamored with it? We're still in the middle of this pandemic. And while the health risk seems to have subsided greatly, the economic impact is about to hit us with great force. It's no secret that the biggest expense for from families is the cost of tuition. Do you know that many families limit the number of children they have simply because they can't afford all those tuitions? Now, of course, this is going to be very controversial. And principals, teachers, rebellion are all going to be vehemently against the whole concept of homeschooling. They're going to insist that the children need to be in school with their classmates, seeing the teacher, seeing their rebbeim. But some parents are actually not so opposed to it. What about all the women who are working just to be able to afford tuition? If they could stay home instead, what would that look like? Now, there are a lot of drawbacks to homeschooling, no doubt. But there are many, many advantages. And it's not like our schools are so perfect that we can't look at other options. The cost of an in-person school where the child attends physically versus a school from home or homeschooling are tremendous. As we'll see, tuition in the Forest Trail Academy for a full curriculum that's accredited and recognized by virtually every college in the country is about $3,000 a year. Compare that to $15,000, $20,000, sometimes $25,000 for an in-person school. Also, there are many other advantages of having school from home, which we've learned in the last few months. How many from families went to vacation in Florida over the last month or so, and their children attended school like they were home? The reasons why many parents choose to homeschool are very similar to the reasons why we sent to private school. The biggest reasons given for people who homeschool their kids are religion, values, and the quality of education. Those are the same reasons why we send to our yeshivas and besiakos. Someone recently told me that when his son's school was teaching on the phone and the English subjects were hardly getting taught, he signed up his son to a free online class and his son learned more in the few weeks than he had learned in the past two years. Sometimes the quality of education can be even better. There's a lot to learn from homeschooling, and we should be paying attention to it. Of course, I'm going to hear from many listeners how homeschooling or schooling from home just can't work for our community. There are going to be claims that the children need the personal interaction with the Rebbe, with the teacher. There's going to be arguments about the classroom, classroom environment, how it develops the kids, how the teachers or the principals need to control the class. I'm not going to argue with all that. I'll just say, let's listen and think for a minute. If there's anything we've learned in the last three months, it's that what everyone thought they knew about everything was completely wrong. Stop and listen. That's all you have to do. Now let's go to our interview. We're speaking with Ms. Rachel Johnson. She's the assistant principal of Forest Trail Academy, which is a virtual private school based in Florida with students from all across the country. 
Hi, Rachel. Hi, how are you? Okay, good to talk to you. So, uh, to tell our audience that we, we uh, a, lot, a lot of our audience are, are not familiar with the, the realities of homeschooling and school at home. How popular is homeschooling or, or school at home? And what kinds of families tend to be the, the, the type to send or to, to, to be part of your school or, or homeschooling? I think um, homeschooling is growing in popularity. Um, it is something that probably, oh, five, six years ago was not near as common as it is today. And, and with each day, it sort of gains popularity, especially today. Um, you know, I, I think it's probably gained more popularity in the last two, three months than it has in the last two or three years. Um, it's probably a lot more popular than you think. And yet it's also still very, um, kind of new and, um, unknown to a lot of people, maybe not even unknown, maybe they know about it, but they don't really know how it works or what it looks like. Um, so it kind of, in terms of who would be a, a good candidate or why people might consider it, probably one of the, the, the main reasons um, would be um, time, um, flexibility, the ability to go to school at a time that's convenient to you. Um, that may mean, um, you know, it's, it's um, students who are maybe athletes or maybe in some sort of fine arts or have some sort of kind of extracurricular activity that really takes a lot of extra time. And so it's easier for them to go to school maybe, you know, of an evening as opposed to during the day, because maybe during the day they're, um, they have sports practice or, you know, um, a, a music lessons or things like that. Um, so flexibility would, would certainly be one reason people consider it. Um, religious reasons uh, might be another reason. Um, families, we, uh, we personally have a lot of families who are working overseas, and so they choose um, homeschooling or, or virtual schooling as a means of being able to provide that U.S. curriculum and, and U.S. schooling while they are um, abroad. Um, we have a lot of students who choose to homeschool for um, reasons of, of, you know, how they're being treated at school, um, bullying, if mm -hmm. they're, um, you know, kind of in those situations where they're finding social issues that um, you know, the parents have decided that it's just not a, a good, healthy situation for them to be in. Um, or even students maybe who have, um, any kind of, um, uh, oh, who maybe learn in different ways or, um, you know, maybe need, they need that extra time to do things or maybe need to be able to be taught in some different ways that, that, they can't quite get done in a, in a regular brick and mortar school. Um, you know, it, it allows them to sort of, sort of is along the lines of flexibility, but it allows them that uh, ability to sort of do things a little differently. So those would be kind of some of the, um, the big reasons. Okay. For people. So how popular is it? Is there, is there, a, 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 a many people doing homeschooling or school from home or is it just a, a few? Do you have like, like some sort of, give, give some sort of context to that if you could. Yeah, you know, I wish I had some good numbers for you. And if I'd have been thinking, I could have come a little more prepared with some good numbers. Um, I think I think it's 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 pretty popular. Um, states are are beginning to have virtual school, um, which is um, charter schools that are um, still a public school, but it'd be public school at home. So those would be students who are still um, getting a public school education, but they're doing it at home. And mm -hmm. um, that's becoming a lot more popular. You're seeing a lot more. Um, of these kind of um, like what we offer a, a virtual private school uh -huh. mm -hmm. and those are kind of becoming a little bit more popular. So I think it's, um, I think it's, you know, when I want to say it's popular is sort of, um, you know, it's kind of like asking, well, is, you know, football popular or, you know, <laughs> sport, it's sort of relative to kind of the context of, um, you know, who you're, who you're talking to. And, and, you know, um, in some areas, it's probably a whole lot more popular than other areas. Um, right. in some regions, you know, it's, um, rural regions may find it a little more popular just because of, of getting to schools, maybe right. harder. So, you know, so, um, it's kind of all relative, but it's definitely, um, probably becoming more accepted today mm -hmm. than it was, um, you know, just a few years back. Right. Okay, so talk about, um, you, you, you mentioned something before, 
um, the, the bullying as, as, as one reason why parents would uh, choose to homeschool their children. So we've heard the opposite argument thrown out there and saying, you know, that if, if you don't expose your children to the real world and send them to a school where they have to interact with others and their peers and even tolerate a little bit of bullying, which is up to a certain point is, is normal for kids. So you're not really preparing them for life in the real world. You know, that's a good question and a good kind of a good statement. Um, I think, first of all, uh, many of our families that, that we work with, and of course, I can kind of only speak to what I know in terms of, you know, who we who we work with and who we talk to. But um, many of these these students still are active in, in their communities in different ways. Um, again, if you're talking about students who are homeschooling for the reasons of, you know, they're active in sports or fine arts, you know, they're, they're out there, they're practicing with their sports teams or they're involved with, you know, a choir or they're, um, you know, kind of whatever that, that may look like, or they're still involved in their communities with community service type things, or some of them have jobs. Um, you know, they, they go to work part-time. And so, they still are having opportunities to um, be social and to, you know, be around peers um, and or even, you know, opportunities to kind of um, interact with people they probably wouldn't interact with if they were sitting in a, you know, a traditional school all day, you know, if they're working and they're, you know, having responsibilities of, of interacting with other adults that they work with or other adults that may come into their place of work. So, um, you know, definitely, um, if you are of the thought that, you know, maybe children need to experience those things, um, they're certainly not going to experience that bullying in the, the traditional sense of the word, but they're getting opportunities to learn how to interact with people in ways and in places that are probably going to be a lot healthier for them. Um, mm-hmm. you know, to understand... So- so they're still going to get exposed to other kids their age and they're still going to have fights and they're still going to have to deal, deal with their problems like every person well, in the mean, world. Absolutely. I mean, hopefully they're not still having too many fights. I mean, I'll, you know, <laughs> I, mean, that, you know, I mean, part of the goal there would be to, to eliminate a lot of that because, um, and this is, you know, my own personal opinion, but I think that, that some of what we see in, in a, a brick and mortar school in terms of bullying and things like that is not necessarily real world. Um, now, does that mean in the real world we don't, um, have disagreements and not, you know, we, we definitely don't get along with everybody and, um, things like that. But the way we treat people is not necessarily the same way you would see, um, kind of bullying in a, in a classroom. Um, so I think they have opportunities to learn what real social interactions look like, um, without that fear of being, um, bullied, not sheltered. I mean, by any means now, any more than anybody else would be right. I mean, uh, you could be sheltered and still, you know, go into a brick and mortar school and still come home and still have a sheltered home life. But um, I mean, these students are still interacting with other, other students their age. And we actually, in, in our particular program, we offer um, clubs and things. So they're still interacting and albeit it's virtually and they're not face to face, but they still interact with, with other peers um, within our own program. Um, Plus, they're also kind of learning and and things that, you know, the way the world is probably going where we're going to be a lot more um, technological and you're going to be interacting with people um, through emails and and Zoom and, you know, things that are not necessarily always face-to-face. So they're still gaining experience in, um, you know, proper ways of communication and and written communication and how to handle those types of situations as well because there's certainly still a level of, um, you know, being able to be responsible um, on the internet. Right, right, okay. So uh, talk about a little when with uh, with your private school, your virtual school that you that you where you your school your teachers are actively teaching the students. Right, that's how it works. Um, as opposed to having the parents teach them, we're in a, in a traditional homeschooling setup where the parents are the, are the primary teacher. So right, yeah. So that's how it works with uh, with Forest Trail, right? Right, right. So what we offer, and and we work um, somewhat different than some other online programs work, but we are um, primarily asynchronous, which means that students um, have access to their courses and they can can learn at their own pace. Um, They are 100% responsible for pacing themselves. I say 100% teachers will help them pace them, but I mean 100% responsible for, um, you know, Mm -hmm. if they want to, if they want to just focus on their math class, um, they can spend, you know, two months doing just math. And then when they're through, if they want to do English or if they want to, 
Um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, work on math and science and Tuesdays and Thursdays, they're working on language arts and social studies, you know, whatever it may be. They, they have the ability to kind of move through their courses um, in a way that works best for them. So their interactions with the teachers come in um, if they choose to attend, we call them office hours and our teachers hold office hours twice a week um, at minimum. And that's a time when we have um, sort of kind of like a Zoom type um, conference room. It's not through Zoom, but it's very similar where um, teachers can share screens and write on whiteboards and they can see each other. They can talk to each other and students can have that real time interaction with their teachers where they can ask questions or get help or um, even sometimes just they maybe just want to drop in and, you know, say hi and, and kind of form that relationship with their teachers just to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, communicate with them. So, um, so while we do have teachers who teach, um, students also have the ability to kind of work through, work through their courses, um, on their own. Right. So the students don't actually see each other. No, unless they're in, in, um, in that office hours environment together. Um, that would be the only time that they actually see each other. Correct. Right. Okay. Okay, so yeah, so my question that I want to ask you was, you know, now during coronavirus, all of us are homeschooling their children to an extent. And, right. uh, you know, we've spoken with principals of schools who are saying they're finding it extremely challenging to be able to, to hold the, the younger children's attention on either on the phone or on even on Zoom. It's just so hard. They're, they're, they're young and they're all over the place. And even in the classroom, it's, it's difficult, but at least they're in the classroom and you have the, the whole. Uh, all five senses captivated, right. but when, right. you know, when they're in front of a, a computer or, or a phone, it's just very difficult. Um, so, so what, what, what have you found that works and how do you get around that problem? Well, kind of going back to sort of how our program works, um, for the most part, they're going to be working um, with our younger students. We expect that there's a parent or um, maybe sometimes parents bring in a tutor or another family member that can help. There's going to be somebody that's going to be kind of um, guiding overseeing. those younger students. Yeah. Kind of overseeing their sort of day-to-day -day things. Um, and when they come in and if they come into their teacher's office hours, generally it's not going to be quite the same as, as what a lot of these schools are kind of um, doing right now, where it's like that whole classroom, you know, 25 students or 30 students in this zoom. Um, everybody's trying to talk every, you know, that's where we're going to see fewer students kind of at a time, just by the nature of kind of how they tend to, um, come in. Um, it's it's going to look different mainly because, you know, right now, all of these schools who are sort of trying to adjust to doing school at home, um, you know, teachers are holding these Zoom meetings or, or whatever their virtual meetings may be kind of a daily, you know, at this time every day and you have to be there and you have to attend. So everybody's there, everybody's talking, everybody's at the same place. Whereas with us, it's a little bit different because our students are, are not necessarily even at the same place in the course. Um, you know, some students are just beginning. Some students may be almost at the end. Um, and they're not having to attend those meetings every day. So you're not necessarily getting um, just kind of this um, wild, you know, group of, of kids that are just all talking at once or all wanting to be involved at once. So one, one way that that it's different for us is just by the volume of students that we're going to have at any one time. Um, the other thing is, is our teachers will, if we have, you know, if you do have a large number of students who are attending in office hours within the program that we use, we can have these breakout rooms. So we can sort of take, you know, if we do get 10 or 15 students that are, that are kind of in this chat room, um, we can create these breakout rooms. And um, if student A, B, and C are all kind of learning about the same thing, we'll put them in one room and, you know, these other students, we may move them into this other room. And so the teacher can sort of navigate through these different breakout rooms, jumping in, you know, to each one individually, um, which sort of helps keep that kind of chaos, so to speak, from getting too out of hand. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that, and that helps the younger children uh, at least get, gain their skills, the critical skills that they need to advance in their education. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because mm -hmm. they can still get that interaction with their teachers. If there happens, and you know, there may be a day they come to office hours and there's not another student who's attending that day. Um, there may come to office hours and there's, you know, quite a few students that are attending that day, but it would absolutely, it would give them that opportunity um, to interact with their teachers, if interact with any other peers, um, but also still maintaining, um, you know, kind of a, a sense of order 
um, so that they can actually learn and, and accomplish something during that time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, just quickly about the curriculum. You, you, it sounds like you uh, try to create the curriculum and at least match it to what the Florida standards of education are. Correct. All of our curriculum is aligned to Common Core and or the Florida State um, standards, mm-hmm. things that obviously are not um, Common Core. So math and language arts are aligned to Common Core. Everything else will be aligned to Florida standards. Mm-hmm. So and, and on a grade level, so an age level corresponding to that grade level. But Correct. technically yeah. a child who's, let's say, advanced could take fifth grade when they're only in third grade. Does, is, that, is that a possibility? Um, there's, no, there's no social component to it. So you know, technically a, a gifted child could, could advance faster well, than, than a regular child. Yeah, no. Um, so yes, they can. Um, specifics and details on how all that would work would kind of be individual based on um, each individual student as far as whether you can kind of skip a grade. Uh, part of what we offer that's maybe different than other programs is we actually are offering, um, assuming that a student would stay through us and graduate with us, is they're going to actually get a high school diploma. And it's from an accredited um, high school. So we are accredited, which means we have to adhere to accrediting body standards. Um, so while we can do things like um, advance students through courses um, and or place them in different courses that may be at, at a better p- place for them, um, skipping grades and things like that would all sort of be um, all sort of be dependent on the situation. I would hate to mm-hmm. just say, yeah, you, know, you can mm-hmm. be a third grade. I mean, and skip and take fifth grade if you want to, because it doesn't quite, it's not quite that simple. I right, guess. Okay. Like, like everything, it's, it's complicated. <laughs> exactly. So it's, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it wouldn't be, I would hate to um, lead anybody to believe that, you know, if you've got this third grader and you just, just because you think that they're advanced, that we can't just say, yes, let's put them in fifth grade because we are still, um, we are still a private school. Um, you know, like I said, that, that does have to adhere to, the standards of, of our accrediting bodies. And, and so there are certain things that we can and can't do. And there are certain ways that certain, you know, those things will work. But that being said, along with that, um, because students can work at their own pace, you know, if let's say you had, um, you know, if you have a high school student and maybe they're starting, um, they decided they want to go ahead and start their, their junior year. And it's, you know, at the end of May, um, they go straight into their junior year and they, they take those courses and they finish their junior year courses within, you know, eight months, they can immediately turn around and start their senior year courses. Um, and so they could finish junior and senior year within a year and a half um, and, and, you know, go ahead and go into college or, you know, go into the workforce or, or whatever it may be that they're wanting to do after that. So there are, there are some things that can be done, certainly. Um, it's just not always as, as easy as it may, may seem. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so coming, coming out of the pandemic that we've just been through, uh, there, 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 there's two types of parents. They're the parents that say, Hey, you know, maybe homeschooling wasn't bad. Let, 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 let's try it out. And then there are those that say, absolutely. I am convinced my child, this is not for me. This is not for my child. So what types of children mm-hmm. is schooling at home? Just not advisable for just not a good idea. Um, I- it definitely you're going to have to have um you're going to have to have a, the ability to to self regulate self you know you're going to you're going to be self motivating and you know you no longer have that teacher that's you know right there in front of you telling you get this done do this take care of this turn this in i mean you kind of have to have that ability and even if you're a younger student that doesn't necessarily mean the younger students have to do that themselves but they're going to have to have a parent or or somebody that the parent chooses that kind of is going to be responsible for doing that. So certainly, um, you know, if, if it's a younger student that maybe parents are, are working full time out of the house and if they don't have somebody that could help that younger student, it would certainly be harder for them. Definitely not impossible. We have students in those situations and they're very successful in our program. Um, but it would certainly be something that would be a little more difficult if you don't have um, that support um, at home if you're younger um, as an older student, you definitely you have to be able to, you know, um, be very responsible with time management um, and and the ability to work by yourself. You know, some students maybe just find that you know, being at home and being by themselves and doing this by themselves. You know, maybe they're really needing that social interaction, even if not just for the the you know um, 
social part of it, just that ability to have people around them. You know, some students mm. just don't work well by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would certainly be something that if you, if you, you just know that, you know, kind of being at home, um, working alone, not having that guy or, you know, not having a teacher to, to sit there and immediately answer something, um, unless you're attending office hours, you know, you're not going to get that immediate, um, response or feedback. And if that doesn't work well for you, um, it would certainly be a lot harder for you again, not impossible, but definitely a lot harder. Mm -hmm. Okay. So before you go, I just, we have a lot of listeners that are religious and they sent to private school because they want to, they want religion to be a a very primary part of their child's education. Um, Do you, I know, I know that homeschool, a lot of homeschooling parents, religion is, is a big motivator and they want to be able to teach their children religion. Do you have parents that use your school that, are, that also want to provide their children religious instruction? Do they use it in conjunction with your school? Absolutely. Um, now, because we are, um, we are not a religious program, um, so our particular curriculum is not going to be um, based on, on any you know, particular religion. We're not going to offer religious studies of, of you know, that people might be interested in. However, we absolutely have families who um, use our program and then they supplement um, on, you know, on their end, whatever um, that might look like for them in terms of um, their religious studies and things like that. So you absolutely could, could use our program while also um, providing your student with, with those types of studies and, and things. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So the parents could get a very quality a secular education from your school or, or your program and supplement it with their, with their religious instruction they provide either from another program or, for, or themselves. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of other options. I mean, obviously, um, you know, we aren't the only program out there. Um, you know, there are, there are programs if, if that is something that, that they are looking for in particular, um, you know, they may be able to find an actual program that does everything. Right. Um, yeah. But you're probably going to be, it's probably gonna be a lot easier to find a secular program um, and then find it another way to supplement that right. but because it's, because it's virtual and because it's, um, you know, on, on a, a more flexible timeline, you have the ability to do that because you could, you know, be able to find, you know, a, a different program or yourself or whomever it may be and, and be able to, you know, um, there's, there's a lot of things that called co-ops, um, you can find, um, within the, the homeschool kind of community. Um, you can certainly find what they call co-ops that would be, um, kind of groups of people who gather, um, to do, um, sometimes it's for religious purposes. Sometimes it's for, um, you know, like maybe it's, because these parents don't, you know, math is not their forte and they don't really, you know, they don't want to teach the math to their students. So they have these co-ops where there's somebody else that kind of comes in and teaches that math. So um, there would certainly be a lot of options for that. Mm-hmm. Oh, fascinating. <laughs> okay. We're just scratching the surface of this, Absolutely. Uh, of this topic. <laughs> it's really amazing. Okay. Really, thank you so much for coming on. This is fascinating and eye-opening for a lot of our listeners who really are not exposed to, to many parents, to many homeschooling families. And uh, this is really uh, very informative, and uh, I hope I hope they uh, it brings the awareness of the of this type of schooling to our listeners. Absolutely, absolutely. And there's you know, like I said, there's a lot of options, a lot of different options, um, and um, it's definitely something that's worth um, looking into. And you may find that there's something um, you know that you you haven't heard of before that that. Um, may work really well for you. And, and again, it may, may not quite be what you're looking for, but it's definitely, um, definitely something I would, I would encourage people to at least look at and, and learn about um, just to know what's out there and what their options are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you so much, Rachel. This has been great. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. You have a great day. We're speaking with Yvonne Bunn. Yvonne is the Director of Homeschool Support and Government Affairs for HEAVE which stands for the Home Educators of Virginia. It's an organization that's representing homeschool families for 35 years. Welcome, Yvonne. Thank you. Good to be with you. So let's get started with an easy question. Why do homeschool families need an advocacy organization? Well, an advocacy organization does what parents often cannot do because parents 
uh, responsibility is to teach and train their children. And so that's what they're doing every day when they homeschool. And homeschool is a, a lifestyle. It's, it's what you kind of get up in the morning and start doing as a family. And so because of that, an advocacy group like Home Educators Association of Virginia or any other state homeschool organization, and all the states have statewide homeschool organizations, um, they can go on the front lines and make sure that parents are protected, that their rights are protected, their freedoms are protected in order to teach their children at home, as well as uh, advance better homeschool laws that give parents the freedom to homeschool and protect their rights. And so that's what an advocacy group can do when parents can't do that themselves. But we I mean, any group would welcome the involvement of as many parents as possible. We're all homeschool families, and so we are supporting one another. But that's that's one of the things um, a group like ours can do. We also provide information uh, with a website that's loaded with information from how to teach specific subjects to uh, parents, uh, resources for parents to learn how to do things, to work with special needs children, all different kinds of um, conventions, workshops, webinars, things like that, that we can provide information for parents. We want parents to be successful doing home, you know, teaching at home. And so that's what our organization does, and any statewide organization would do the same. So uh, it's to encourage, to protect, and to um, help parents have the information that they need. Okay, so let's focus a little bit on government, government affairs, which is your, your area of expertise. Yes. So uh, what's the political environment with regards to homeschooling, specifically the direction that the government takes with regards to homeschooling? Are they becoming, are states in general becoming more tolerant of homeschooling or less tolerant? Well, homeschooling is um, a state, um, it's it's state-led because every, it's not federal. The federal government has no rules, no laws, nothing, no regulations regarding home education. So every single state has specific laws or um, a home school is considered a private school. It could be that way also. So every state has a different, it's set up differently for whatever state you happen to live in. And every parent would need to look at the laws, the homeschool laws for their particular state. So, um, but we would say that homeschooling with uh, has had tremendous growth in the last um, 20, 30 years, we've just seen it year after year, probably on average in our state, which is Virginia, we're seeing a 20% increase each year. Uh, We've seen that in the past. And so uh, we're continuing to see it specifically this year uh, with COVID-19, with the pandemic, we're seeing more and more parents uh, asking questions, looking into it. Some have had good experiences with their children being at home. Others have not had good experiences. Uh, some parents have said, have, uh, you know, their eyes have been opened to think, wow, uh, this is what they're doing. I could do this. And so we're seeing all different kinds of reactions, some good ones, some, you know, that parents just really don't know what to do. And so um, as far as regulations go, during the last 20 or 30 years, we've seen uh, fewer regulations. Now we're beginning to see some concern about homeschoolers and uh, public schools are losing funds. And so they're concerned about the funds that they don't have. And so they're looking at, uh, some states are looking at tighter regulations for families. We're not seeing that particularly right here in Virginia, but uh, we may see that in the future. We're very alert to that. And that would be one thing we would want to protect parents from. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is this something that becomes like a red state versus blue state issue, like states that are more religious and conservative and that, that you know, support um, traditional values are going to be more flexible uh-huh. with regards to homeschool? Yes. If a state does have more traditional family values, yes, then they're more agreeable to home education. Virginia is quite unique in all of the states because we have a religious exemption statute. Parents can homeschool definitely under a 
Home Education Law 22.1-254.1. So we have a clear, distinct law that talks about how you homeschool, you know, what you need to do in order to file a notice of intent, yearly accountability with testing. That's the homeschool law. But then there is another statute, and Virginia is the only one that has it, with the, that's called the Religious Exemption Statute. And that for people who are homeschooling because of their religious values uh, that they want to pass on to their children. And so uh, that is a part of the statute that we watch very carefully and we are ready to defend because we believe that it's a God-given right to teach and to train your children. It's not the state giving you that right. So uh, that's something that's been very important to our organization. And of course, we support all parents who want to homeschool, whether they um, are doing it because of or not, we do believe that that is a right that needs to be protected. So that's something that we often are watching for. We, what we do each year prior to the General Assembly as legislation is coming out, um, we have a team of bill readers that read uh, the statutes, the proposed legislation, and compare it to the statutes that are already on the books to make sure that uh, there's nothing that would um, you know, prevent parents from continuing to homeschool um, because they want to pass on their, their family values and their traditions, or they may want to just, um, you know, present stronger academics for their children. There are lots of different reasons parent, parents homeschool, but those are the two in Virginia that's quite unique to our state. So that's what we're looking to protect. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in, in terms, in general, the, when we, we look at outside the government in terms of the general population, do you feel society as a whole is becoming more open to the concept of homeschooling or is it still looked upon as something unusual? I think they're very open to it now. I don't think it's nearly as unusual as it was, you know, even 10 years ago. Almost everyone now knows someone who homeschools. Um, in their, it could be their sister-in-law. It could be their neighbor. It could be, you know, another family that, they're, um, that they know at work. So it's not an unusual thing now. Not at all. I, I don't think there is a... Um, that stigma. No, no. No, I think that's long gone, long gone. And, the, and you know, the track record shows that also. You know, children are doing well. Um, high school level um, students, they're actually the most interesting thing is when you look at statistics, and we follow these uh, year to year, uh, the SAT scores and ACT scores, but particularly SAT college boards, um, at the very top is home scoring homeschoolers. Then you have private school students, and then you have public school students. And so we are at the top homeschool. And the reason, it's not that parents are phenomenal teachers. It's simply one-on-one tutoring with our children. Mm -hmm. And if you begin doing that in the elementary uh, years, children become more independent learners. They, they want to learn, their curiosity is peaked, and so you're studying things that they're interested in, looking deeper into. And so uh, we're finding very much so when these children get to the high school level, they're independent learners, they're ready, they're well, well prepared for college because they're often leaders on campus. Um, they are um, able to uh, take initiative already, and they do well on the SATs. They're offering them scholarships right and left to get into college. So, And they usually finish after you know four years. They don't mm-hmm. take six years to finish either. <laughs> so, um, so it's real interesting. We've got a lot of good facts and statistics now that show that you know this is going very well. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's good to know. So parents do do good, yes. a good job of education, huh? Uh-huh, yeah. Okay, so he, yeah, we're, 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 a lot of our listeners are in New York. And in oh. 2018, uh, the State Education Department of New York uh, issued a bombshell ruling called the Substantial Equivalency of Instruction for Students Attending Non-Public Schools, which basically said that the government has the right to mandate what private schools need to teach the the subjects and the hours of instruction that need to be given for each subject. So I I know Virginia is very different than New York, but what do you as a homeschool advocate feel regarding that ruling and if it should apply to homeschool children as well? Well, first off, I do not think it should apply to homeschool children because here's what happens in that situation. When you have the same hours, you have to be tested on the same material with a state test. 
um, that's going to drive your curriculum because you're going to have to teach the same content that they're teaching in the public schools. And homeschool parents should have the freedom to teach what's best for their child. And so uh, it, that is a bad law. That is not a good law. That doesn't give the parents the freedom to choose the curriculum that fits the learning style of their child, the interest of their child. And I'm not saying they're not going to teach math and language arts. Obviously, that is, you know, that's a foundational part of learning. So you have to have that before you can even get into social uh, studies, science, history, anything like that. So you have to be able to read and to compute. So we definitely don't leave any of that out. But choosing the right curriculum that fits your child is important because that will help them uh, with their ease of learning. Um, it helps them to be able to, um, to go deeper into subjects that they're interested in. And so uh, that type of thing is very restrictive. It doesn't give parents the freedom to do the best thing for their children. And that's what we want to do as homeschool parents. As far as advocating for something like that, I, I would certainly uh, talk to some legislators to get them on your side to really um, to key in on why do you have this? Why, what's the purpose of this? Are homeschoolers you know, not doing well? Uh, they are obviously doing well across the nation. Now, if you had, instead of that type of test, if you just suggested a standardized achievement test instead of a particular uh, tests for New York State, say. And Virginia has a state test also called the Standards of Learning for Virginia. SOL and that test. applies, and the, home, the homeschool children need to need to take that test as well? No, or? no, no, we do not. We do not. We fought against that many years ago and uh, because it would drive our curriculum and, right. and, and we would not have the freedom to do what was best for our children. And so we fought that, but we got several legislators. We went to them. We talked to them. We carried children in. We took facts and statistics to them to show the outcome of what we were doing, getting into college and so forth. And we've got some very, um, you know, vocal legislators on our side that would put in legislation for us to prevent us from having to take the SOL test. We also had lots of parents call their legislators to talk to them or talk to their legislative aides to give them, help them understand that we are their constituents. And as a constituent, we definitely would oppose this legislation because there's not a problem. And so we can show with the stats that there's not a problem. So that would be something that I would, um, you know, it's very limiting. It's not a good situation for homeschool families. I do hope they can overturn that. And I, I would say also, I have a daughter who homeschools in New York. And so uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm certainly aware of that situation there. Yes. Right. Yeah. It, it was, the law was only for private schools. It wasn't on homeschools. Right. But you know, anytime the government reaches into the private education sector, it's not good for homeschool parents either. Well, it can easily transfer right on over into right. the homeschool sector. Right. And you don't want it to do that. So, mm -hmm. no. So I'd be okay. I'd be looking at that very closely and monitoring it very closely because it is a dangerous situation. It's bad for private schools. I mean, it's mm. not even good for private schools, much no, less a homeschool. Definitely not. That was aimed squarely at at, at, at you know making a a serious problem for home, for private schools. That, uh -huh. at, you know the strength of the teachers unions in New York speaks uh -huh. volumes. It does. It does in a lot of states, and uh, and we have to help them understand it's not about the teachers it's about the students and about their futures and that's what's so important so i'd keep emphasizing that also and um but watch out for it because it's uh you know it's a dangerous situation mm -hmm. yes definitely okay um so just could you give us some of the primary motivating factors why parents choose to homeschool their children it's obviously a lot harder for them they have the mm -hmm. option of free public school um, or those that could afford it, they have private school. What are the moting, primary moting, motivating factors for choosing to homeschool? The primary motivating factors have changed over the years. Uh, it started out more because of um, parental vi uh, values and uh, religious traditions and uh, because of religious beliefs. That's the reason most people started homeschooling. Uh, I know that I did myself for that very reason. And secondly, and we have parents that still do that, of course, that was the primary focus early on. Now, I think the focus has shifted 
it a little bit more to academics and their parents who are very concerned about the lack of rigorous academics for their children, uh, particularly at the high school level. They're also concerned about drugs. They're concerned about negative social activity also. Um, they're concerned about anxiety. We have never had so many families, so many parents call us about issues dealing with anxiety with their children. Their children, even beginning in elementary, upper elementary particularly, but all, all age levels. Uh, children being very intimidated, being made fun of, being bullied, not wanting going to go back to school. Uh, it's very dangerous middle school. Um, you know, the suicide rate is higher now. And so parents, because of those reasons, also are taking their children out. And then another reason they'll do this is because um, and this one is kind of back-to-back, -back, but some children have learning disabilities, they have difficulty learning, and even though, of course, federal programs in school, very often these programs are not really one-on-one -on -one tutoring the way they should be, and they're still mainstreaming children, they're putting children uh, with difficulties right in the classroom, it's very humiliating and difficult for the child and these parents are taking their children out and finding out even though they're not specialists in these areas it's one-on-one -on -one tutoring that's really reaching their children and there are many many resources out there for that on the other side of the coin there are also parents whose students are accelerated in their learning style and abilities and they're bored and they're getting in trouble or they're you know they're just losing their fervor for learning and these parents will take their children out also and homeschool them for the very same reasons because they can give them strong academics they can uh, let them uh, you know really work in the areas that they're interested in and often that come be will become their careers in the future so there are lots of different reasons that parents choose to homeschool there's there are none that are better than others uh, because I believe it's a parent's right to do that you know, God gave children to the parents, not to the state, to teach and train. <laughs> and so uh, because of that, that's what we support. Yeah. So what do parents of special needs children or children with learning disabilities do if they're homeschooling? Like, how are they able to even evaluate them for special needs? And could they get them the services that they need in order to succeed? That's, a, that's an important question for parents to know. It's a good question. If they're taking them out of the public school venue, then and they have an IEP, that's what we call it here, is right. um, yes, you know, that will work with special children, then um, the parent can take them out and they can, of course, they've already had conferences with the um, school personnel and the special ed teachers, but they can sit down with them and then the, um, the teachers will provide an SCP, a student education plan, which is like an abbreviated version of the larger IEP plan for the child, the parent can take it home and they, by law, need to do, they have to do this by law. And then they, the parent will take it home and it tells, you know, the child's strengths, weaknesses, the way they learn, the way to approach, approach teaching with the child, all of these things would be in that student educational plan. And then from that, the parent can actually use that to choose their curriculum, their methods that they're going to be using with their child, or they could venture off into another area or another program or another, you know, way to teach a child who may have autism or may be dyslexic or something like that. Um, there are tremendous resources uh, out there in the homeschool community. The homeschool community in every state is very, very well connected. And there, and we encourage homeschool parents to connect with others because there you can find out about so many other resources, so many other, um, you know, opportunities out there than just the one thing that the public school was offering. And you can try it. If it doesn't work, you can switch and you can do something else. So it's the parent's decision. It's the parent's plan to do what's best for their child. And when it comes to testing or evaluation, in Virginia, particularly, we, and I, I'm not familiar with the law in New York for this, but in Virginia, you have the opportunity to either do a standardized achievement test or an independent evaluation with an independent evaluator that the parent would hire to compare the child's work from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, not comparing that special needs student to other students. 
because that's not a fair comparison for that child who is struggling. So Mm -hmm. um, different states have different laws on how to evaluate children like that. And some don't have any evaluation at all. So it just depends on where you are. Right. So in Virginia, it would be possible for a homeschool student to get evaluated by the Board of Ed and and get services. Um, They'll be able to get mandated services. No. Once the child leaves the public school, then the school no longer gets ADM funding, which is average daily membership funding. And so because they didn't get the funding, they can't, they're not going to pay the teacher. They don't have anything to pay the teacher with. So in a, just like a private school situation, a homeschool situation is very similar. The mm-hmm. parent would be responsible to okay. take care of it any special needs, any client like that, basically through their own private funding is what they're mm-hmm. going to have to do. Yes. Okay. okay, I see. Okay, so uh, to wrap it all up, it seems like you're, you're obviously a strong believer in, in the benefits of homeschooling and the superiority of that, that form of education. So do you, do, do you try to advocate for homeschooling, if you know, when speaking to people, that in general people should homeschool? And in what situations should maybe – Maybe it's just not a good idea and the parents should send their children to school. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I wish that every parent could homeschool, but in reality, I know they can't. I know there are parents where they have to have two incomes. I understand that. Uh, there are situations where you've got a, a single parent who wants to homeschool and that's not impossible, but it's hard. It, it, I mean, you can imagine it's hard. You've got parents with lots of children and lots of little toddlers. That's hard but it's not impossible to homeschool in that situation. I think that that, uh, as much as I would want to say it's for everyone, we realize that there are bad situations and there are are children who, um, you know, it would be difficult for the parents. It may be difficult for the parents also. It's a decision that each family needs to make uh, to decide if this is going to work for them. I would encourage them to do. I would want to say to parents, you, if you're interested, you can do this. It is not a job that you cannot do. So often we look at, at people like teachers and we say well they're professional you know I was a teacher in the classroom I don't think there were any courses that I took in college that prepared me to know how to teach those 25 children but when you're a parent and you have the love for your children there is no one who loves their children more than you do and wants to see them succeed more than you the parent does. And so I would encourage any parent that's interested in this, go to your state organization, find out what the laws are, join a support group or a co-op, get connected, find out more about it. You can do this. You can. Ivana, it's great talking to you and really, really helpful and encouraging information for all of our listeners. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate the invitation. You've been listening to Chinuch 2.0 a show exploring the changes happening to how we do Chinuch. Chinuch 2.0 is hosted and produced by me, Aaron Parnas. Special thanks to Dovin Lichtenstein of Headlines, who inspires the show. You can subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts or on our website, chinuchshow.com. For suggestions, comments, or guests' ideas, please visit chinuchshow.com. Thanks for listening.